0: This is The Guardian. I call the Treasurer. I present the Appropriation Bill No. 1, 2023 24, and the explanatory memorandum.
1: I'm Laura Murphy Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is the full story. The Albanese Government's second budget is trying to strike a balance.
0: Between spending restraint to keep the pressure off inflation, while doing what we can to help people struggling to make ends meet. Making sure that vital... Circumstances...
1: So, have they succeeded and delivered a budget that is fair? Later, Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Chief Political Correspondent Paul Carp will weigh in on that question.
2: Are people going to be grateful that the government has done things that will really start to ease the cost of living crisis that undoubtedly will help or will people look at it and think you could have done more than that right now and I don't really want to wait until it suits you politically and economically.
1: But first, Guardian Australia reporters will break down what this budget says about the state of our economy and what the big announcements are.
2: The belief in opportunity
0: fairly shared has underpinned our greatest achievements. Today, a little help from
1: Labor in a battler's budget.
0: So, Mr Speaker, for all of these reasons, I commend this bill and this budget to the House.
1: It's Wednesday, the 10th of May. Leading up to Budget Day, the government faced a lot of pressure to deliver substantial cost-of-living relief. And one of the biggest announcements out of this budget is that going to the doctor will soon be free for just over 11 million people. Targeted at children, pensioners and other Commonwealth concession card holders, this $3.5 billion commitment will boost the number of bulk-billed visits to the GP. And a senior reporter, Anne Davies, says...
2: Look, it is a big deal. It's the biggest increase in the bulk billing incentive in Medicare's 40-year history. The Australian Medical Association had wanted a lift in the Medicare rebate and the schedule fee that's paid for a visit to the GP, and that would have made it cheaper for everybody, but it would have been very, very expensive. This is a targeted assistance
1: there's also a range of other cost-of-living measures, including raising the rate of the unemployment payment, Seeker, by $40 a fortnight, and bringing 55- to 60-year-olds onto the higher job seeker rate that already exists for over 60s. Youth Allowance, AusStudy and other payments will also see a boost. This government is also increasing the maximum rate of Commonwealth rent assistance, meaning 1.1 million people from low-income households will get an extra $31 a fortnight, the largest increase in more than 30 years. If you're worried about electricity bills, there's also a few things on the table. From July this year, there will be immediate relief, with energy rebates of up to $500 for eligible households on government payments and some small businesses. Another way to save money, though, is by saving energy in the first place. And that's about to become a lot easier, with the government committing $1.3 billion to a housing energy upgrades fund. The majority of that money, more than a billion, is going towards low-interest loans to upgrade your home with things like double-glazed windows, solar panels and other energy improvements. And the rest is going towards making social housing more energy efficient. But even more money is going towards green hydrogen. And as Environment Editor Adam Morton explains, this $2 billion commitment is a step in the right direction.
4: This is potentially a good thing. It's really hard to assess, but hydrogen made with wind and solar could replace fossil fuels in some areas, and we need to do that. And this is really the government's recognition that other countries are moving and we have to too. So they've said they're going to try and make two or three really big projects get off the ground before 2030.
1: Now we come to the broader economic outlook for the country. This year, the government is delivering the first surplus in 15 years, which they're pretty excited about. But should they be? According to economics correspondent Peter Hannum, kind of.
0: A surplus of $4 billion compares with what was going to be a deficit of $100 billion just two years ago. So that's a huge turnaround. Is the government uh, responsible? Well, not really. Mostly commodity prices have pushed up both corporate profits and personal uh, income tax in some cases.
1: Where is this surplus going? Are we going to see it continue in the next couple of years?
0: No, unfortunately, it's a sort of one-year wonder, and we're back to deficits really as far as the eye can see.
1: What would you say to households about what they can expect this year and the next few years?
0: Okay, one thing is hang in there. On the one hand, the cost of living pressures are going to start to ease. And because there are more people in jobs, wages are going to start to pick up faster than inflation. You'll get a little bit more coming in. So if you can last the next couple of years... Conditions actually should start to improve. And it's worth mentioning, we're better off in Australia than virtually all the other advanced economies. So if we're struggling here, you can imagine it's probably worse somewhere else.
1: Next, Lenore Taylor and Paul Karp on whether the relief in this budget is enough for voters to keep the faith.
3: Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Paul, hi, how are you
1: going? Hi, Laura. Well, thanks.
2: Lenore, welcome to the pod room. Thank you, Laura.
1: So Lenore and Paul, every budget tells a story. Who is this budget for?
2: Um, I think this budget is for the Australian families that are doing it really, really tough. The families that are finding it hard to pay their bills or who are finding it hard to keep paying their mortgage payments or who can't pay their rent. The government has done quite a bit, but it's spread quite thin. But it's very clearly aimed at... Australians who are really hurting with cost of living, rising inflation, rising interest rates. It's its really for them.
1: Right. We know the cost of living crisis is hitting people really hard. Are these measures enough considering the place that we're in, considering how many people are struggling right now?
2: Well, it depends which way you look at it. I mean, there's a lot of money. There's, you know, 14.6 billion dollars in targeted household relief and it's it's going out the door in lots of different ways in extra rent assistance in extra job seeker payments in help with energy bills that will go to lots of families that's a not insignificant amount of money for a government that had various constraints on what they could do including not fueling inflation and needing to look fiscally responsible But I guess there were also political constraints on them, right? You know, this is an administration that governs cautiously, carefully. They don't want to scare the horses. They don't want to sort of buy big fights in their first term. And they, they could have done other things on the revenue side of the budget to raise extra funds that could have then allowed them to be more generous. And we can talk about some of those things. But I think if you looked at it from the point of view of the need in the community, Personally, I think they could have done more. If you look at it from the point of view of a treasurer who really wants to be treasurer for a couple more terms of government, they've probably done a lot.
1: Paul, does this address the need in the community sufficiently?
4: Well, I think a lot of uh, the relief is targeted at middle Australia, things like the bulk billing and the power price relief. If you look at what is targeted at the most disadvantaged people, it's things like the $40 a a fortnight increase uh, in JobSeeker. Now, that's only $2.86 a day. Uh, For the 55 to 60 long-term unemployed cohort, it's a little bit more generous. And when we asked the Treasurer about this, you know, was there any kind of science or rationale behind? the $40 a fortnight level, he said, you know, this is what wouldn't blow the budget. So I think that tells you that they've approached it from that direction, what was affordable and responsible, not necessarily from the direction of, uh, you know, how much do do people need to to get by on this payment?
1: Right. The government is very concerned about reining in the, the budget and also about adding to inflation. And that was one of the key worries going into to this budget, that any cost of living measures, especially $15 billion worth of cost of living measures, would fuel further inflation. Is that likely?
2: Well, not the way they've structured it, no. I mean, the energy payments come in terms of you get a lower bill. Your bill is up to $500 less. So I guess that's money that you've got to spend on other things. But for most households, that sort of windfall, or for people on unemployment benefits, an extra $3 a day. That's going to help you with the backlog of the bills that you've already got, you know, sitting there on your fridge with big, you know, red overdue stickers on them like this isn't the kind of money going to the kind of households that they're going to sort of whip out and go on some sort of spending spree so I mean I'm sure the opposition will say that it's inflationary but I think the way that it's targeted has minimized that risk and the government actually says that it will slightly reduce inflation next year I think because energy prices were such a big driver of inflation that that it's actually going to bring fl- inflation down a bit.
1: Right, it's marginally lifting people out of poverty, not fueling you know, household spending massively. Yeah, you're
2: not going to go on a cruise.
1: There was a lot of concern going into this budget that the cost of living measures would be targeted to older generations more than younger generations. But looking at what's in there, it does seem to be more evenly spread across the board than what people expected. What's happened here? Do the government listen to that concern in the community and change tack,
4: Paul? Well, budgets are a moving feast and that's why they don't like to buy into the pre-budget speculation. Now, uh, Channel 7 and Guardian Australia uh, and I think the AFR reported early last week that they were looking at limiting that job seeker raise just to the over 55 cohort. But a few things happened. I mean, the Treasurer didn't contradict that, but he cautioned that there was still work being done on the budget. And we know the ERC uh, was meeting right up until Friday and that a lot of money was committed in the last few meetings. We also know that ministers involved in that process said that it was an ongoing process. I think basically the revenue figures for April were very high and that allowed them to make some last minute decisions, some of which was to avoid the stink of giving a big increase to over 55s and nothing for the other cohort. And as a result, we have got a fairer budget as a result of that.
2: I think you're right that the revenue coming in in April, you know, exceeded their expectations. We'll never know whether the sort of intergenerational Barney that was clearly looming, that sore point that the idea of only giving a job sick increase to the 55 to 60 year olds, whether that reaction to the idea that was floated influenced their decision making, but it was pretty red hot. So, you know, it might have.
1: I want to go to a portfolio that's very important to the Albanese government, Indigenous Affairs. They've faced a lot of criticism from the coalition that the voice to parliament won't close the gap, it won't stop the crisis happening in Alice Springs that we saw play out. But what we've seen in this budget is nearly $2 billion to close the gap and a quarter of a million dollars towards services in central Australia. How will that be received?
2: Uh, Well, I think it's both necessary funding and has the political impact of ameliorating that coalition attack that, you know, this doesn't help with crime in Alice Springs. There's also money in there for the referendum itself. You know, there's uh, housekeeping stuff. The no campaign has got its tax-deductible status. So it's sort of setting up the parameters for the referendum campaign and for the government to make good, at least in part, on its promises to try to close the gap.
1: Mm. The government is very excited about having the first surplus in more than 15 years, but we know that this is largely fuelled by a surge in commodity prices, things like oil, iron ore, etc. That surge could fall away. Has the government done enough to ensure that we have revenue going forward to fund essential services,
4: Paul? It's it's not just commodity prices. It's also low unemployment and uh, returning to real wage growth sooner than expected. But the thing is, we have this one sort of Goldilocks year where the budget has all the benefit of lower job seeker payments because fewer people are unemployed and more people are in jobs. But once the interest rate rises that have occurred, the 11 consecutive rate rises hit, and unemployment then goes up to four and a quarter percent, then the government is going to have to pay out more for those things. So we're just sort of in this very benign year where everything's going in our favour before returning to more normal conditions. And then once we're in more normal conditions, then yes, there are deficits in the remaining three years, totaling $110 billion. So yes, there is still a structural problem that has to be addressed. And uh, Jim Chalmers was frank about that, that the conversation about uh, gaining more revenue to address the structural issue has to continue after tonight's budget.
1: Mm. The Treasurer argues that their ambition in this budget was reined in by circumstances, by the ongoing threat of inflation and the general global economic decline. But does that hold water? Were there other savings that could have been directed towards the most disadvantaged
2: in this budget? Uh, Yeah, there's always more savings, right? Yes, of course. I mean, it holds water to an extent. It holds water within the parameters of a government that wants to govern cautiously, that wants to set itself up for the long term, that's sort of already thinking to the next budget and the one after that. But yeah, there's other things they could have done. I mean, just before this budget, they pre-announced, if you like, the deal to force LNG producers to actually pay some petroleum resource rent tax. And, you know... Suspicions were raised when the gas producers seemed positively pleased about it when it happened. You know, we see in the budget that actually they're going to raise more from the increase in tobacco excise than from the PRRT changes. They're going to raise more from the crackdown on compliance with the GST. They could undoubtedly have done more and raised more from PRRT, but I think they just didn't want another resource rent tax style fight with the gas producers, so they sort of lowballed what they were doing there. Now, that's a political decision. It might even be a really rational political decision, but it means there's billions of dollars that you don't have to spend on other things that people need. You could also put the stage three tax cuts into that conversation, you know, Now, any redesign of their benefits, even at the very top end, even for the very wealthiest, has been shelved until after the next election, if ever. I mean, that's built into the structure of the budget. That's another reason, another thing that is, you know, an amount of money that isn't there to allocate to other things. So there's always other things that they can do.
4: And a lot of the revenue measures are very controversial. Things like the WAGST deal, the capital gains tax and negative gearing. You know, they've, they've done some of the easy ones like, you know, super balances over $3 million. But continuing that conversation and getting revenue in some of those other places is going to be very difficult.
1: Right. It's hard for someone who's living on the poverty line to hear we can't spend more when there is more money to be gained from these gas companies, there's more money to be gained from higher income earners.
2: And that's, for me, the sort of question about this budget. Are people going to be grateful that the government has done things that will really start to ease the cost of living crisis that undoubtedly will help? Or will people look at it and think, you could have done more than that right now and I don't really want to wait until it suits you politically and economically? I think that's the sort of central question.
1: That was Chief Political Correspondent Paul Carp and Editor in Chief Lenore Taylor. Earlier, you heard from Senior Reporter Ann Davies, Environment Editor Adam Morton, and Economics Correspondent Peter Hannam. I do recommend checking out Lenore's piece on the budget and The Guardian's "You Be the Treasurer" tool, where you can make your own budget. You can find that at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by myself and Miles Herbert. The executive producer is Miles Mationi. I'm Laura Murphy Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow.
3: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news.